Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Big old can of Mr. Sheen. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Absorb all the healing juice. <laughs> and we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into this episode, which is a certified stonker, we just wanted to do our usual gentle push towards our various other platforms and channels, etc., in the hope to garner a bit more support and a bit of a wider reach. If you're enjoying what we're doing on the podcast, then we would very much appreciate any sort of sharing and subscription or following or stalking on our social media platforms, from Facebook and Instagram to our YouTube channel. It's facebook.com slash our3cents, at o3c podcast for instagram and if you search on youtube for our three cents you can find all of our stuff and we would love to see any sort of interaction from your good selves upon there and we'd also like to point your faces and fingers to patreon.com slash our three cents where there are a whole bunch of exclusive perks available in exchange for some pennies and pounds of pledging there are full bonus episodes that are excellent there are dozens of deleted scenes and outtakes and snippets of bonus content from our regular episodes there's access to our discord channel which is is just a very nice place to be it includes all of our current patreon subscribers and also all of our special guests from this season so it's a great place to interact with those marvelous folk as well so do please have a look so this week we have my fifth favorite video game but before we do that and i teased this last week as probably the best round of the quiz so far so hopefully that will come to pass are you both ready well before you do that jonathan Ah. i've got my own little quiz question for you because as you know chris and i have been showing off our our gaming chops in 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 head-to-head trivia for so long and i thought it's time for jonathan to get in on that uh on that euphoria when you get a question right they are tricky as we've seen in the past couple of weeks but i think you'll be able to do it are you ready for your question uh yeah do i get 50 points for this one yes okay good (laughs) what do the letters dk stand for on donkey kong's tie don't kick me in the nuts. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I assume it's Donkey Kong. That's correct. Jonathan Dunn, 50 points to you. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you now, you guys aren't going to have as easy a ride as I just had there. <laughs> this is going to be great. So the title of this round is A Wag's Opinion. Wags as in wives and girlfriends. Oh. And to help me out with this round, I have been in contact with... All of our respective other halves, Chris's partner, <laughs> Georgia, Mrs. Catherine Minty, and my wife, Sammy. And I gave them a list of games from your respective lists and asked them to write a single sentence synopsis of those games. <laughs> I may have deliberately picked games that I knew were a bit on the obscure side, so you might possibly have to exercise your lateral thinking to figure out what games they're talking about. Okay. So you're gonna have you're gonna have five questions each, and they these are five games from your lists, your individual lists each, and uh, there are <laughs> a potential three points available for each question. All right, because what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read you first. I'm gonna read you the most what I consider to be the most obscure clue. 
if you if you you can have a guess at what game it is then if you get it right from one clue you'll get three points if you need another clue you'll only get two points if you need all three clues then you'll get one point and of course if you fail to guess the game at all you'll get no points zero i'm going to structure this uh, like i did with the highbrow lowbrow round so i will be reading all three clues be- just because they're so good <laughs> and you'll have your you'll have an opportunity to change your guess after each clue okay is that clear okay. yes here we go we're gonna start with chris christopher dow so your first game sammy describes as a game for the dance mat with robots (laughs) Uh, okay, I'm going to guess and say Super Hexagon. Okay, here's your second clue. In this game of steady beats, it's up to you to level up through quick reflexes, shooting objects as they sail towards you, in the words of Mrs. Minty. Okay, I'm going to change it to Thumper. Okay, we're at Thumper. Final one. Georgia says, Just Dance, Dragon Ball Z edition. (laughs) Whoa. Uh... It's not Thumper. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to be really angry with myself. I don't know. I don't know. So are you going to stick with Thumper? I I will have to at the moment. I know it's not that, but... Um... I'm afraid that is not the correct answer. The correct answer is Rhythm Ten Goku. Oh! Just Dance Dragon Ball Z edition. Fuck, it's been so long <laughs> since we talked about these games. God. <laughs> okay, well, there's no, no points for Chris so far. Okay, first question for Minty. You ready? Yes, I am ready. Georgia describes this game as, aren't they kids' bath toys? <laughs> kids' bath toys? That's, that must be yellow bits. Okay. Second clue. Catherine, your wife, says, the mind is a crazy place. Luckily, all you have to do is put on your spacesuit and kill some bad thoughts to save the day. Oh. <laughs> okay, I'm going to change my answer to psychonauts. Okay. And Sammy says... 70s hippies explore space in this kaleidoscopically colourful game. Um, (laughs) I think I'm probably going to stick with Psychonauts. I can't think what else it would be. Well, I'll tell you something else it could be. (laughs) Actually, no, I can't, because the correct answer is Psychonauts. Well done, Minty. Hooray. Well done, me. Okay, Chris, your second one. Georgia says, this is a racing game featuring Borat as the main character. (laughs) 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 <laughs> okay, right. Racing games that I have had on my list <laughs> that George thinks Borat is in. Um, Mario Kart 8. Okay, Catherine describes this game as this game involves four wheels, off road adventures, and crazy characters. I'm going to stick with Mario Kart. And Sammy says a racing game with lorries and big vehicles. Oh, it's, it's going to be Excite Truck, isn't it? That is the correct answer. That's one point for you, though. One point. Oh, better than nothing. Okay. Minty, your second one. Mm. Your wife, Mrs. Minty, says, This is a charming game that places you in the middle of a small town neighbourhood. The aim of the game? To help your neighbours, give back to the community, and grow relationships with friends and family. Oh. My gut says fantasy life. Ah, okay. Your second clue, Georgia says, probably not about Dalmatians. Oh. <laughs> Uh, oh that one's gone right over my head your third clue is from sammy and she says lots of spotted puppies scamper about in idyllic surroundings (laughs) Uh, 
Are you going to stick with fantasy life? Uh, well, oh, it's it's certainly not correct now. Little spotted dogs. <laughs> I don't know. I'm afraid fantasy life is not the right answer. Chris, what's the right answer? I'm pretty sure it's the wonderful 101. That is correct, yeah. Probably not about Dalmatians. It's not about 101 <laughs> Dalmatians. Oh. Absolutely brilliant. Here we go. Chris, your third one. Okay. Catherine says, Our adventures are lost without a watch. How will they get to where they need to be at the right moment? Again? Oh, that's good. Something to do with time. I, I don't know. I'll pass this this clue. I'll go to the second one. Okay. Georgia says, you've lost your watch again. <sighs> time. Christ. So, something to do with time. What's on my list about time? Clocks? Watches? No. Sorry. Okay. Go on. Last clue. Last clue. My wife, Sammy, says, it's an RPG sequel where the protagonist has to save the world by jumping through time. <laughs> None of these are obviously accurate descriptions of the game. But they're, they're all to do with time, so it's got to have time in the title. It's got to have something to do with time. I, I, I'm so blank. My head is empty. I, 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 can't, I can't think of any games I've talked about in the last two years. What, what is it? Tell me. Come on. Zero points oh. for Chris. Time Crisis 2. Oh, for idiot. fuck's sake. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Minty's third. This is a game that Georgia describes as anime minigames. Anime mini game. <laughs> it could be a few things. Gosh. Um, Gosh. It, fantasy life again. It's got, it's got to be right one of these times. Okay. Your wife says, One fateful day, three triplets were born with the undeniable powers of speed and judo. It's up to them to save their neighbourhood and get to school on time. Well, that's big bad Beetleborgs. But that's not, that's not a game on the list. I'll, I'll tell you now, I don't think any of the clues are accurate descriptions of any of the games. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you the last clue. Okay. My wife Sammy says a gang of toddlers are the cool kids on the block completing neighborhood quests in this multiplayer game. <laughs> I think I've got it. No idea. <laughs> okay. Chris, what do you R- think it is? Rakuga Kids. It is Rakuga Kids. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Chris, your fourth one. This is a game that Catherine describes as a battle game where you can constantly level up and mod your car to beat out other players for a chance in the winner's circle. Cars. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll just think of any car game and say Sega Rally as a first blast. Okay. My wife says it's a game like Tekken, where Talking Tim fights Kicking King. <laughs> Talking Tim. Kicking King. Fighters Megamix. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to upgrade to Fighters Megamix. Okay. You're going to kick yourself. I know. Georgia says this is a shoot 'em up between Tim and Kenny. <laughs> Tim is clearly in here somewhere. TK. Oh, TXK. There we go. Well done. Oh, that is oh, well done. Such a <laughs> such a niche game anyway. I, I don't remember what the game is. No. Okay, Minty, your your fourth one. This is a game, Minty, that Georgia describes as an RPG but without any of the good stuff. You work as a pizza delivery guy. Oh man, <laughs> an RPG with no good stuff. It's all good stuff. <laughs> I, I can't picture any of the artwork of any of my games in my head. I'm going to give you the second clue now. Yes. My wife Sammy says you play as a boy who rides his moped to discover ancient secrets in a mystical land. Uh oh, Breath of the Wild. Okay. Your wife says it's an RPG that follows a group of comrades as they look to find the special thing, all while fighting battles with the exact same catchphrases. Xenoblade <laughs> uh, Chronicles X. I absolutely think that Catherine is describing 
Xenoblade Chronicles X, but unfortunately she thought that was a different game <laughs> because the correct answer is Tales of Vesperia. Oh, okay. <laughs> a boy who rides his moped, moped Vespa, Tales of Vesperia. I thought oh, that was wow. Quite oh, okay. Okay, Chris, your final one. Okay. This is a game that Georgia says, you are a talkative cowboy man, shenanigans ensue. Uh, right, so I'm trying to think of games that are called things like Rodeo. Something's <laughs> 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 with the Wild West. Clue number two. Catherine says, have you ever tried to map out a road trip using only fried chicken? Me neither, but it seems like a no-go. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, Kentucky Route Zero. And the final clue... Sammy says, a driving game that's finger-licking nothing. Kentucky Route Zero. I'm sticking. Uh, is the correct answer. Oh. That is two points for Chris. Two well points. Done. Thank God for that. <laughs> you finished with a score of four out of 15. Well done. Uh, <laughs> Minty, your final one. Yeah. Your wife describes this game as robots, aliens, and fighting stuff. Uh, robots, aliens, and fighting stuff. Xenoblade Chronicles X. That was a robot on that. Okay. My wife, Sammy, describes this game as a dystopian game where a deadly virus has wiped out most of the population and you uncover government secrets and kill lots of zombies and rabid dogs. Uh-huh. I don't think any of those things are present in this game. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's Resident Evil, but I don't have any of <laughs> Final clue. Georgia says, it sounds like it would be a physics game, but it's most likely about robots taking over the moon. Physics. Robots on the moon. <laughs> Sorry, no idea. The correct answer is Mass Effect. Oh, okay. <laughs> the round ends with uh, Chris getting four points and Minty getting two, which means Chris has now pulled ahead overall oh. with 71 points to 70. Uh, and the marvellous thing about that round is that if you've got a problem with any of those clues, it's nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> So, before we talk about what we've been playing in the last week, there's been some other stuff that's happened in the last week. The main thing is that we've had E3, and that was, I mean, that's the the annual showcase from loads of different developers, all about all the stuff that they're working on, big reveals, all that sort of stuff. And usually it's very exciting. I mean, it's still exciting, even though I think the general consensus from this E3 was was a bit underwhelming. And, And of course, it's not Entirely surprising, given the knock-on effect that the pandemic has had on game development. It's inevitably meant that there's not as much to show as perhaps there usually would be. And I think, I mean, I, I also found that this year's was, was also, I don't know, sort of strangely political in like a business sense, especially from like Microsoft, because they, after they obviously bought out Bethesda in the last year, they were just swinging its big old Bethesda dick all over the show <laughs> yeah. to prove that they've got some good exclusives coming to the Xbox finally. But it felt more like they were, I don't know, it felt more like they were depriving the rest of the industry from them to have them as exclusives because, well, that's exactly what they've done. You know, they're not developing new or existing IPs. They're just taking it away from other people. It's, you know, so it just felt a bit off. I mean, okay, well, we'll get to the Nintendo's direct in a mo, but, but there wasn't, to be honest, a huge amount of interest from the major publishers generated, I felt, apart from, I mean, Elden Ring for me, obviously the new game from, well, from From Software, it looks absolutely incredible. I mean, it does look, albeit pretty familiar in terms of, you know, uh, Dark Souls and Bloodborne sort of world, but when the, you know, when the familiarity is one of 
from you know one of the best franchises it's okay there was just so much there that to, to i just i can't wait for it. it it was just it was exactly what i wanted to see i mean the, the capcom's direct that was just talking about uh well they're doing dlc for resident evil there's more monster hunter stuff than you can shake a stick at which is i mean if, if you're obviously if you're a big subscriber to the monster hunter series that's probably quite exciting there was the Ubisoft uh, Direct, and they unveiled a new Mario and Rabbids game, which is a game that we we love here, and uh, I hope that shapes up as well as it's currently looking. It looks set to be exploring the like, the Mario Galaxy side of the Mario verse, which could be quite cool. Square had their showcase pretty overshadowed by their reveal of an incredibly ropey looking. Final Fantasy spin-off game, which looks very much like a Souls-like game. I think it's being developed by Team Ninja, who did like the ne- recent Ninja Gaiden games and Neo and stuff like that. But then they not only did the game look like a PS3 game, they then botched the release of a demo, which was meant to be available straight away, and it was just broken and nobody could download it. So that was a bit of a bit of a damp squib. I, th- I think there were some nice and interesting things on the indie game front. It's nice to see Hades come into the other consoles, although I'll stick with that on my switch probably there's a a real swathe of quirky niche animal related games that almost certainly have nothing to do with an untitled goose but we've now got kiwis running a post office skateboarding budgies (laughs) something to do with a cow or a goat i think i don't know i mean outside of the nintendo direct what particular announcements piqued your particular set of interests gents i mean chris i know you avidly followed the limited run showcase probably halving your savings in the process yeah uh, what did you make of everything it's been a really strange year i mean like like you alluded to it it didn't feel like e3 has traditionally felt and i have to admit like i've, I've never paid less attention to e3 than i did this year mm. like if, if you think back even a couple of years ago when we first started doing this podcast we had an episode when we talked about e3 because we'd essentially watched every conference live between the three of us yeah and and by contrast this year i watched limited run live and i watched nintendo live and that was it because as as you've alluded to with all the other ones you've got you know i don't care about resident evil dlc i, I don't care about a final <laughs> fantasy spin-off regardless of what it looks like like i'm just i'm not going to play it mm. there were loads of loads of interesting indie announcements but i think if anything they were delivered in such a great volume this year I, I don't remember any of them. <laughs> like yeah. so, some of those ones, I, I was kind of following Twitter threads as, as they were kind of going on live. If I was at work or, or somewhere else, and it's like a hundred games were announced in twenty minutes. Like I, I don't have the memory for that anymore. <laughs> I'm a man in my mid thirties. <laughs> like, I've got other things to worry about. But yeah, I, I think it's just it's a different time, and it was as as you say, responding to a pandemic year when development of everything has slowed down and the way this is being kind of delivered is very different for me the the only real highlights that we said limited run this year even with their kind of muted showcase i felt they're putting out cool physical copies of games like the the mega drive and snares classic zombies ate my neighbors which i loved as a kid oh yeah they're putting out a copy of a a streets of rage alike that reviewed very well called the takeover i'm quite interested to play the switch version of super hot is getting a box release you know lots of kind of just just little things that would be nice to have a copy of that I'm looking forward to. The highlight for me, though, was they're putting out a physical release of the Double Dragon and Kunio-kun collection that came out for the Switch digitally quite a while back now and looked like it was never going to get a, a physical publisher. And it's basically all the NES, Double Dragon and Kunio games, which are the River City Ransom games and spin-offs. Oh, yes, and yeah. I was always interested in this collection because there's about... 10 or maybe even 15 games that never left Japan, never ever got localized and were all translated for this release. So it's a really kind of definitive package of that era of games. 
and it's, it'll be nice just to have it on the shelf. It's like an archival sort of release that I, I really enjoy owning that sort of thing. But, you know, it's that's a super niche sell for a lot of people. Yeah. So overall, like, I don't know. What games did I even see? What do I care about? What, what's all these video games about? <laughs> like, I don't know. Strange year. How about you, Minty? Did anything uh, anything catch your eye outside of the Nintendo? Not really, no. I mean, I, I don't have anything apart from a Nintendo Switch. Um, and, yeah, for me, I, I, I became acutely aware of just how how much e3 relies on relies on the hype mm. from uh, from its from its big audiences in years past we've sort of had you know bill trinan come on and uh, you know in, in his polo shirt and <laughs> spread his arms wide and all the nintendo fans go crazy and there's all this shouting and stuff Steve Bulmer might be there. He's like, oh, Xbox. <laughs> so there were there were a couple of things that did um that did that did, that did grab me a slice, even though it was just a solid week of here's a video, here's another video, here's a video. Thanks for that video. Here's yeah. another video. I am interested in, despite the fact this I think it's only coming to PS5, PS4, and Steam. Uh, Babylon's Fall looks uh, looks quite fun. Platinum Games hack and slasher set in mm. like, high fantasy, which uh, I, I like. I'm, I'm terrible at platinum games. I, I find them too fast and too uh, and too overwhelming. But the video looked looked very fun. And to be honest, I was a little intrigued by this uh, this Final Fantasy spin-off, Stranger of Paradise. Mm. Same with Platinum Games. I can't really do Souls-like games because I, I just don't have the reflexes for them. And I'm not. <laughs> I don't like being rushed. So just just to have a load of um, a load of gameplay wasn't fantastic, but I were, I I just really like the idea that it's going to be a a AAA title with maybe a thirty hour game that's all about the a retelling of the original Final Fantasy because mm. it you know it, it's an NES game it's had a DS remake and maybe maybe even a like a PlayStation and mobile port so it's not the most succulent of games when it comes to lore and story so i'd be interested to see how they plump out that tale that is just get mcguffin kill monster because it it could be done incredibly well because that's basically what bravely default is the, the four warriors of light they kill an ancient evil life's good fantastic thank you everyone so we'll see how it works with this um with this grim dark polish <laughs> and so then we got to nintendo's e3 direct and i mean the elephant that was i mean decidedly not in the room was of course the switch pro or the new nintendo switch or <sighs> the super nintendo switch or the switch <laughs> or whatever the console upgrade will be called it seemed all but confirmed that it was going to be revealed before E3, which would have made sense for the other developers there to, to make mention of their support of the console and their announcements. But yeah, the, the reveal never came. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Nintendo dropped just like a just shadow dropped a direct in a couple of weeks and just unveiled it. But then who knows? They may never do it at all. I mean, I've, I've no idea. I've no idea. I, I just, I want something more powerful. I want, basically, I want to know that Binding of Isaac Repentance is going to run on <laughs> on a Switch. Uh, that's that's all yeah. I really want. That's all I really want. My feeling now, because it's missed this window for E3, is that we may eventually get an announcement for a, a Switch Pro for Christmas. Yeah. And, and I feel like perhaps Nintendo are banking on the sort of console shortages for the, for the Xbox and the PlayStation to have leveled out by, by that time, by the holiday. And this is kind of their secret mm. weapon to remain on top, essentially going into Christmas. 
but you know you know like you i'm not bound to the binding of isaac but i just want a faster sharper console and it doesn't have to yeah. do anything more than that just make the games i have look that tiny bit better and i'll be perfectly happy because all all of those iterative nintendo upgrades over the years like the step from the 3ds to the to the xl and then to the new 3ds every one of them just made playing that console more fun and and more yeah. enjoyable and and i really want to feel that sizzle of excitement again because the switch is what five years old now or thereabouts yeah and and yeah. we're well past the point where they normally would have done that hardware refresh yeah and you know there, there has to be motivation for why they haven't announced anything why, why nothing has happened and i imagine part of that is just because they are rolling in bags of money uh, <laughs> that it's it, it doesn't have the the you know there's no necessity behind it yeah whereas there might have been before but either way, when it happens, I will be there waving my wads of cash to add to those piles of money. You know, I, I'm a total sucker for it. It's a, a very easy sell, I think, for almost everyone that owns the console. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, at some point, Nintendo are going to announce their plans for their next console. Of course, that's that's what's going to happen, because that's what companies do. I'm sure, being Nintendo, they're going to take it in a slightly different direction than what's expected. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So the highlights from Nintendo's E3, just a few of the passing news bits. Tekken is now part of Smash Brothers, which is mental. Stupid. Life is Strange Remastered is coming to the Switch. Good. As is a cloud version of the new Guardians of the Galaxy game. Bad. Worms Rumble looks set for an incredibly <laughs> ropey port on the oh, Switch, God. which is a shame. That trailer was terrible, wasn't it? It's a good little game, but yeah, my God, the Switch can't run that. The follow-up to Two Point Hospital, Two Point Campus, is Switchbound. That looks really good fun, although it's a PC game, definitely. Yeah, you're going to enjoy that more on a PC. There was more coverage of the new Mario Golf game, which actually is coming out any day now, and that continues to look excellent. Loads of other games, like a, well, a new-ish Mario Party game, a new Just Dance game, a new Dragon Ball Z game, a new Monster Hunter Stories game, a new Shin Megami Tensei game, an old Fatal Frame game. Yeah. <laughs> and then there were some games that... I think a, a, possibly a bit, bit more of a discussion point for me. Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania is a game that I am super monkey bold about. I'm so excited <laughs> for it. I believe I asked for this. Uh, I, I can't be bothered to go back through the episodes and find it where I said, all I want is just like a nice HD remaster of Monkey Ball 1 and 2. Just put them together and, and, and have that. And that's what I'm getting. One big game. It's all in HD. Online leaderboards. I'm going to be fucking obsessed and I cannot <laughs> wait. I absolutely cannot wait. There's loads of skins and stuff and accessories you can you can get for your balls and your monkeys so you can dress them up. There's like a, a bit of DLC so you can play as a Sega Saturn. Unbelievable. That's right. In, <laughs> I'm assuming instead of a monkey in a ball, it's a Sega Saturn in a ball. You better believe I'm doing that day one. I mean, I it's all I want. And I'm so I'm so glad that I'm getting I'm so glad that I'm getting it. I'm gonna get it on Switch because I think the pickup and playability of it is gonna be really, really good for how competitive I, I can see myself being with it. We shall see. But I'd like to just properly get back into it big time. A new WarioWare game has been announced that looks looks really bad <laughs> oh. and that's very disappointing it just it looks decidedly un WarioWare what I, do, I don't understand how Nintendo have, have struggled with this franchise so much because it has such a a clear identity for itself in in the, the entries that work that usually it was like you know it might be bound to the tech of a console so we had the you know the, the Wiimote stuff uh we we had the the camera and the dsi when it had a spin-off there like it, it could work with the stuff on the switch in a way that's much better than one two switch yeah. ever was it should be really easy to do but 
yeah, that that trailer. It's like they they went back and said, I think the one people liked the most was a uh, game and Wario and the Wii U. That that decidedly multiplayer one that no fucker bought because it was awful. Yeah, uh, but that seems to be what they're leaning into. That kind of party feeling. Yeah. Where even even with that, the the addition that was on the GameCube was just the Game Boy Advance game, but played with four players, and that was great. It's such an easy thing to get right, and I just I think it's going to be bad. And I think the art style of the characters made me feel a little bit sick in my mouth. Like just everything has gone a little bit wrong with that trailer. Yeah. So as excited as I was when it was like, oh, is that Wario's voice? Five <laughs> minutes later, it was like, oh. I, I, oh. I, know, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, <laughs> they, they did a, about 20 minutes of it on the treehouse after the E3 Direct, so I got to see people playing it, and it just it doesn't have any of the snappiness. Yeah. By nature, it's quite flabby because it's sort of open to two people playing it, so it's got to have that sort of wiggle room. It just looks... Um, it looks shit. <laughs> I'll tell you what does not look shit, though. That is Metroid Dread. Oh. We didn't see this coming. We didn't see this coming. I think so many people were so preoccupied with, come on, give us an update on Metroid Prime 4. That you, then they were like, actually, yeah, here's, here's, here's something else to distract you from the fact that we have no update on Metroid Prime 4. And that is a brand new 2D Metroid game. It's Metroid 5 after Metroid, Metroid 2, which is remade recently as Samus Returns on the 3DS, Super Metroid, Metroid Fusion. Now we've got Metroid Dread, and it looks like it's being... I mean, some of the development team from Samus Returns have been working on it. It looks like it's going to play very similarly. It's got a lot of the sort of modern mechanics in there that Samus Returns has, and it, which is such a brilliant game. And my goodness, I can't I can't wait for it. Are you going to play this one, Minty? Because you, you have played most of the 2D games, haven't you? Uh, no, hardly any of them. <laughs> <laughs> you make me look stupid. I played the original Metroid, uh, Super Metroid... Metroid Fusion to varying levels of completion. That's three out of four, though. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. I am very much looking forward to this. It looks... Oh, the Emmy robots, they look fucking creepy. Mm, it's like the SAX, isn't it, in Fusion? Exactly, that's, uh, yeah, that's the SAX, yeah. but it can sort of... It does all that sort of weird twisty stuff with its body, you know? Mm. God, it's going to be great. And it's coming out sooner than we thought. It's coming out in October, isn't it? That's uh, Yes. That's very exciting. One of the other games that uh, was announced was a remake of Advance Wars 1 and 2 right. on the Switch. I mean, I've said before about like my relationship with strategy games has been a bit bit uh, hit and miss, but it looks like it looks like a very, very nice sort of set. It looks like a very nice package. Obviously, it's from the ground up remake, uh, beautiful sort of like graphics in it, beautiful style to it. And it looks like it's going to have a lot of content. What do you make of that? I think it's going to be really good. And, and I think it is... Or it could be the the kind of tactical strategy game that that could really do it for you. Yeah, you know, you know, for the things that you've said are kind of the problems you have with the genre. Sometimes, Advance Wars is very welcoming. Yeah, and it's kind of the the sort of early tutorial stages are really helpful without being kind of overbearing as well. I think it's just got you know it's set up really nicely. It's got kind of a real Nintendo charm and polish to it. And yeah, the, the HD update by way forward good good guys at way forward oh of course yeah it's, it's looking really nice I, I thought this direct was bizarrely there was a lot of game boy advance in it yeah in, in a strange way because you had you know a, a metroid sequel which you know was had a, a storied history on the on the game boy advance you had advance wars coming back you had warrior wear in some capacity yeah it was it was a it was a strange set of callbacks to a console that nintendo haven't really mentioned for a while you know, even in their own kind of promo material and stuff like that, it's just, it's out there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not, it's nice to see some of these franchises brought back in some way. 
It looks as well, like uh, outside of E3, there's been some rumblings that there's going to be a Castlevania Advance collection of the uh, of the Game Boy Advance Castlevania games. Yeah, I did see that too. Yeah, some more Game Boy Advance love. I just I just wish with things like that, they could just, just put everything together into one thing for me. You know, just like, give me all the Castlevania games together. Like, yeah. don't make me buy four Seven or five collections. different collections. <laughs> well, like, speaking of Way Forward, the Shantae games come to PS5. They're yeah. all coming to PS5 or PS4. But all being released individually, it's like just just do a collection. Why can't you just do a collection? <laughs> do a collection. Nintendo obviously saved a lot of stuff for for their final sort of section, which was revolving around the 35th anniversary of Zelda. They did reveal a very very nice new entry in their retro Game and Watch line, uh, following on from the Mario 35th anniversary Game and Watch uh, little device, which had Mario one and two on it, and an old Game and Watch game. And the Zelda one, it looks gorgeous. Again, it's got a classic Game & Watch game on there as well, but it's also got Zelda, Zelda 2, The Adventures of Link, and Link's Awakening, the Game Boy version, the original Game Boy version on there. Yeah. And I think it, it's, a love, it's a lovely little thing. I mean, when I bought the, the Mario one, I was fully prepared to buy uh, the Zelda one, uh, the Metroid one, whatever, you know, whatever comes out, I'm just going to keep buying them because they're really nice. They're a nice little collector's thing, and it's a nice way to play the games as well. And I'll... I'll I mean, I'm not going to play Zelda or Zelda 2 because, because I don't want to. Because I don't want to. Uh, but I will play Link's Awakening on it. I'll play it from start to finish and that'll be lovely, you know. It's a bit of a shame that we didn't get any update on the ports of Wind Waker HD and Twilight Princess HD. Again, do a collection. for mm, Do a collection. How many? Oh, but <laughs> they did show off a fair amount more of the Breath of the Wild sequel, which is currently called... Breath of the Wild sequel. And they've said that they're not going to reveal the title because it's it's a potential spoiler for whatever. And even internally, they call it Breath of the Wild sequel. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what we'll call it for now. Not a huge amount revealed still. It was just a bit of gameplay stuff. There's a lot of people saying, are you actually playing a Zelda? Because you don't get to see Link's face in any of the gameplay footage. Uh, it's taking place above... Hyrule from Breath of the Wild got a, a real sense of um, Skyward Swordness to it, which you know is obviously quite quite timely. There looked to be some sort of time manipulation type thing going on, some portally things going on. But all in all, I don't think anyone knows any more about it. Mm, Breath of the Wild sequel. <laughs> but the brilliant thing is, everyone's going to buy it, so yeah. <laughs> they don't need to show any more. <laughs> it's an easy sale, isn't it? I, I think anyone with a Switch. Uh, will buy this game because everyone with a Switch bought Breath of the Wild. It's still full price, so clearly people are still buying it five years on. It was a very good game, and I have no doubt this will be a very good Breath of the Wild sequel. <laughs> How about you, Minty? Was there anything that particularly whetted your appetite in the uh, the new footage? Uh, just enough to make me think they're probably going to Majora's Mask this game, and yeah, I'm really excited. Like. Yeah, there, there, there was hardly any. Um, there was hardly any proper gameplay footage. But the one thing that did stick out was the uh, was like you said, the portal stuff where Link mm. or a nebulous protagonist like leapt <clears throat> straight up and then just sort of emerged from the other side of like a like an overhanging bit of rock. Yeah, I really hope that this is going to get weird. Um, yeah, me too. Me yeah. too. There's, there's, they can't take it in any direction too weird, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. So, the, I mean, there's some, there's some decent, 
decent things announced. Like I said, it's always going to be a bit underwhelming when all content has just been pushed online. Video, like you said, streaming videos and stuff. Obviously, that's been the the, the one note of the last, you know, 18 months. That's how we digest stuff or have, have had to. Um but that's the thing, there's still quite a, a fair bit to look forward to. So what what are your top three E3s? <laughs> what are the top three things that came out of this E3 that, that have excited you the most? Minty? The thing that most excited me uh, was the thing in the Nintendo Direct that got the least amount of time at a whopping 22 seconds. A new game called Astria Ascending, which looks to be a hand-painted RPG with classic combat and some sort of merging level up system where you sort of push two heroes together to make a stronger one i'm very excited for that i'm also excited for dragon ball z kakarot to come out on the switch it looks it just looks like it plays very very nicely and then for my for my third option i guess just all the stuff that we knew that we know is going to be fantastic so metroid (laughs) zelda this, that, and the other. Well, everything that Nintendo's putting out in-house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chris, how about you? I'm surprisingly excited for Super Monkey Ball. Uh, <laughs> and I think this is probably part of your excitement rubbing off yeah. you know, <laughs> a- a- across the country down to me. Yeah. But because I-, I think as I've got older, I've really got more and more into like short, sharp arcade games. Mm. Maybe that was the type of game that when I was a little bit younger, I wasn't I wasn't set up for. I didn't know how to play a game like that where it was like a level is quick and you fail and then you do it all again. You know, I, I think I was looking for something different at that age. Whereas now, I think I could get I could get really into this. You know, that sort of quick replay thing and, and pushing for better times and everything else. I, I think that could be for me. So I'm excited for that. Excellent. I'm excited for Metroid Dread. Yeah. Despite never really playing much Metroid, <laughs> because it had a, it had a cool trailer. You know, sucker for a cool trailer, and and because it's got such a, a weight of expectation to go with it. You know, following on from from a game that when did Fusion come out? About twenty odd years ago. But most out of everything that I'm excited for is is just Mario Golf. Yeah, <laughs> and I know it wasn't a new announcement yeah. per se. You know, we we knew it was coming, and it's very soon. But I just love Mario Golf, and it, it looks like it's going to be a very good Mario Golf. I think my top three is Metroid Dread is uh, is a really was a really nice surprise. I'm really really up for that. Monkey Ball, I'm so so hyped for, and uh, and Elden Ring. Elden Ring looks the only, the only thing that that sort of niggles at me with Elden Ring is the fact that it's still being de- it's being developed for release on PS4 and Xbox One, yeah, as well as PS5 and Xbox Series X, and that. Ugh, I don't know. I, I don't know how much that's holding game development back. There's very few things that are being developed just for current gen. I imagine that it's probably not holding. It's not going to hold it back much. It will just be a. It will be 30 frames per second and on PS4. It will be 60 frames per second 4K on. But you know, I'm I, I'm just I'm really excited for the time when developers just go. You know what? Yeah fuck them, let's just go with the best, let's push this, let's push this as far as we can, rather than, you know, kind of dredging it up on the other, you know, on the other side of things. But yeah, it's still, I'm so excited for the game and I can't wait for it. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey there, this is Jeremy Parrish, and if you're a fan of classic video game soundtracks, or if you just love 20-minute rock epics about war-ready armadillos that battle Catholicism, you should listen to Alexander's Ragtime Band. 
Join the power trio of myself, Elliot Long, and James Eldred each month as we talk about the most pretentious music of all, progressive rock, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. So there we go. That was E3 2021. What have we played this week? <laughs> we'll give a, give a very, very, very quick uh, rundown of what we've been playing this week, and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll smash your ears in with my fifth favourite video game. Following on from last week, I've now 100%ed Sping, the excellent action puzzle game on Apple Arcade, oh, yeah. including the last set of nine levels, which are insanely hard. But that was a continual joy from start to finish, and can't wait for more level packs to drop hopefully soon i've also continued to make progress in undermine i've now done three bosses and i've got to the fourth boss for the first time so i can continue chipping away at that quite happily it works a bit differently to like binding of isaac where once you beat a boss it's beaten forever so they are sort of quite sort of clear sort of benchmarks as you as you sort of go through the game the more the main thing i've done in the last week is i started a new save file on super mario odyssey and I've now seen the credits roll on that. Four days? Uh, it probably was about that, but to be <laughs> yeah. fair, I was bedridden in hospital. But I, I'm still way off 100% in the game, but I can't see myself not continuing to play it all the way to the thousand moon mark, because like you said a few weeks back, Chris, there is nothing in the game that isn't actively incredibly fun. Yeah, I even managed to get that pesky jump rope challenge moon out of the way early doors because... You know, that was very frustrating, but it was nice to get that. It was more frustrating doing the volleyball challenge this time round to get the uh, the 100 uh, thing. But again, it didn't take that long and it wasn't it wasn't like I wasn't enjoying it. Like, it was just like, oh, okay, okay, I can do it this time. I can do it this time. You know, it didn't go on too long. I've posited this as an idea for a future special or specials. But because this entire podcast is based around our personal favourite games rather than those games we deem to be the objective best games, although obviously there's overlap that's bound to happen and has happened. But I I really do think that Mario Odyssey is a contender for the objective best game ever made. Like, it is just flawless. Like, I mean, especially playing it in such close proximity to Balan Wonder shit. (laughs) Balan shares a lot of similar ideas with Odyssey uh, in terms of, like, gaining new abilities, like, temporarily and using that to sort of overcome things. But, I mean, Balan fails to meet every single one of the ideas that Odyssey set out. Odyssey is just, it's an insanely well-made game. And I i really would love to see a sequel to it because I think the setup of the game is perfect. Like, I know I said when I played Bowser's Fury, you know, the little open world Mario game that was on Super Mario 3D World on the Switch. And I was, I was saying, I was hoping that that's where the series would go. But I mean, Odyssey may as well be that, but it is, it's a series of open worlds rather than one entirely interconnected world. And obviously that setup works very, very well for injecting then an extraordinary amount of variety of everything on offer in Odyssey, which you couldn't necessarily do if it was like, oh, I'm just going to go to the, the field next door and now it's <laughs> everything's made of lunch. It needs to have that separation in order for it to kind of feel well, exciting and different and get that variety and not be overwhelming and sort of muddy the edges of those different areas. So I think, I mean, I would love to see a, a Super Mario Duodicy sequel with more cappy abilities, more incredibly inventive worlds to explore. It would just be an immense joy. I'm so glad that I've played through it again. And like I said, I'm going to continue chipping away at it in, in between other bits and bobs. Minty, what have you played this last week? Beat Saber. Oh, oh how are you getting on with it? Good. Like, I, I I, didn't think that I would be that great at it, considering I've got the rhythm of something that has no rhythm, something dead, perhaps. <laughs> but it is good fun. I feel 
it's one of those games I feel really cool doing it, but <laughs> I do get filmed while I'm playing it and I look like a prick. <laughs> the cool just slips away. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't take away the enjoyment. It's such a simple idea and it's so fun. It really is. We're playing through the uh, the campaign mode at the moment after sort of just playing through all the songs that it came with. And then, it, even then, it, it does some fun little things like, oh, beat this level without only moving your hands like a total of 120 meters. That was that was a wild one, <laughs> or one that move your hands at least 800 meters. So it, it shakes up the formula nicely and just keeps things fresh. No, it's great. I'm having a really nice time with it. Good. I'm glad. I look forward to hearing hearing what more VR adventures you get up to in uh, in in time. Mm. Chris, how about you? What's your last week consisted of? A couple of little bits. I was first inspired by your recent playthrough of Abzu, Jonathan, to uh, ah. re- revisit that game for the first time in a few years. Oh, lovely. And I enjoyed it a lot. But my main takeaway was that it's not Journey. <laughs> and, and I really feel like the, the human interaction in Journey, regardless as to whether it's you know wordless or not, that's what yeah. makes the whole experience really come together in gel. And, and yeah. so much of Abzu is set up in basically, basically an identical way to, to Journey. So you've got the big artsy set pieces. You've got the, the lovely Austin Wintry score. But the, the overall takeaway after playing it for a few hours and getting to the credits was just, this isn't quite as good. And... What I would love, though, like in in seeing it this time on a big 4K screen and it it being as sharp as it can be on a console, I just thought, I I wish this was in VR. Yeah, absolutely. Because the the sense of scale and speed and colour and light, like, oh, (laughs) like positively (laughs) salivating. So maybe maybe one day. And and that'll be what really sells that game properly to me. I've also used my arcade stick quite a bit to dip in and out of some more shoot-em-ups, like I mentioned a couple of weeks back. My favourite is probably still Darius Burst. It's a very good game, and it's it's really worth looking up footage to see what it looks like, because it's got a ridiculous 32 by 9 widescreen aspect ratio. Jesus. And it makes everything feel giddily cinematic and expansive. And again, playing it on a massive screen, everything is, is just so epic. But you're playing just a simple 2D shoot 'em up, and yet it it feels amazing. Like there, I've never played it in person, but there is a machine at the arcade club, and it's made up of three giant monitors linked side by side, and it's now like top of my list to properly experience when I eventually get back up the country to yeah. to play it and see it. The other thing I've put a fair few hours into is Metroid Zero Mission on the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, and I've mentioned before on the podcast when you've brought games up, both the two of you, that I've never played a Metroid game really other than a stage or two of Federation Force to see how bad it could be. But I've been missing out, haven't I? <laughs> I should listen to you two. Because, you know, I basically the, the story is I ordered Metroid Dread straight off the back of the E3 hype. And I said to myself, okay, I'm only allowed to keep this pre-order if I at least finish one of the mainline 2D games. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm glad in a way that my attempt at financial solvency has put me in this position <laughs> because I'm really loving it. Good. Like I've I've not played many Metroidvanias at all. Uh, I've never really played a Castlevania game either. Guacamole is really fantastic. I have beaten that. Uh Zeo Drifter is is a nicely condensed little game that I was playing, I think back when you were on paternity leave, Jonathan. <laughs> but you know, boy oh boy does does Metroid feel better, you know, just miles above both of those games. Mm. And I, I just can't believe for a Game Boy Advance game, there is such a sense of atmosphere and exploration in here. As soon as you boot it up, you've got that triumphant main theme that, you know, I, I know the Metroid song probably from Smash Brothers more than anything else, but 
you know, as, as soon as you enter Brinstar, just thumping in the background. And and I even love the the lurid, gaudy colour palettes in this game. Mm. Because I, I imagine part of that was probably chosen at the time because it would have stood out better on a Game Boy Advance with no backlight. Yeah. But even now, emulated on a really bright screen, because I'm playing this on the Vita, it works brilliantly and it makes things feel really alien and unfamiliar. Every neon enemy has like a sense of threat about it that stands out in the same way that, you know, frogs in tropical climates, they look beautiful, but it's mainly to warn predators that if you eat me, I will poison you to yeah. death. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all in there. And it's, it's just really nice visual design. Yeah. My only annoyances so far have, have been that there are still some puzzles in, in this version of Metroid, at least, that are a little oblique. And I, I know the original NES title was essentially impossible without a guide. And a lot of that has been softened here in, in the Game Boy Advance version. But there are still times, like quite early on, where I was stuck. I messaged both of you and you were no help, I will say. <laughs> but the answer to my problem was that I had to know that the lava that normally kills you in this room won't. <laughs> <Yeah. You know? laughs> and that's that's not communicated anywhere. There's no visual tale to say, I'll jump in there, you'll be fine. You know, there's, there's games like, if you think about the marked rocks, for instance, in, in The Binding of Isaac, you might not notice them straight away, but when you're scouring a floor, then it becomes a visual thing you look for. Yeah. Or the environmental puzzles in The Witness. You don't see them at first. And then when you do, it's like, oh, fuck, this, is, this stuff's everywhere. Fuck, this is the greatest game I've ever played. Yeah. And I, I think there's just <laughs> there's some bits that are not not quite there in, in Zero Mission. But either way, I'm, I'm very excited to play more. My Vita is literally sat next to me right now so that when we wrap up recording, I can yeah. carry on en route to Ridley. Fantastic. Very good game. And if you're both to be believed, a very good series that I look forward to playing more of, hopefully, before Dread actually comes out. I'm desperate for either of you guys to play Samus Returns, yeah. which I imagine would be your go-to version rather than playing the original Game Boy version of Metroid 2. Yeah, I think it will be. I can't wait to hear how you get on with the rest of it. What a treat. What a treat to go through that with uh, fresh eyes. So, are you ready to hear about my fifth favourite video game of all time? I am. Indubitably. Excellent. Well, following on from the bombshell of my sixth favourite video game, uh, the Game Boy Colours, Metal Gear, Ghost Babel, I think my fifth favourite video game is another Jonathan Dunn game, a game that oh. probably won't be anywhere near this high on anyone else's list. Certainly not your two, as I'm... I, well, I don't think either of you have played it. Now, I've spoken about this game's predecessor... And I've spoken about its sequel already in my list. But today, it's time to dim the lights or douse some flaming sconces with some water arrows, pick up your blackjack (laughs) and follow me deep into the dark underbelly of the steampunk dystopia that is the city as we once again step into the sneaky shoes of legendary stealer Garrett in Thief 2 The Metal Age. Oh! Spicy. <laughs> now, not not only do I love every single detail of this game so immensely, but I also know it so incredibly well in all of its tiny details. So I said uh, when the first Thief game, The Dark Project, featured as my 90th favourite video game, uh, and the third game, uh, Deadly Shadows, which was my 49th favourite, that, that there are kind of two sides to the Thief universe. So you've got this medieval-esque steampunk side watching new and cruel technologies rising out of the swampy mire in this dark and complex society. And that is underpinned by a real sort of pagan magical side with witches and spells and zombies and all manner of creepy, crazy things. And I always felt myself more drawn to the more tangible human side of things than the fantastical, mainly because the zombies were very scary, uh, but also because... Because the game is a stealth game, it's a sneak 'em up. It's a first-person sneak 'em up. They used to say uh, that you know that that stealth aspect of the game 
counted for a lot more when you were avoiding and outsmarting human guards and soldiers rather than outwitting monsters and creatures with no brains. Like, I, I absolutely don't mind that that whole pagan side of the world. It's fantastic, and it lends a real twisted richness to everything else that's going on. Uh, and that's something, you know, Deadly Shadows really capitalised on in its faction system. It had had the two sides of the universe really existing sort of, you know, side by side. Not not in peace with each other by any means. It was very fractious. But, uh, yeah, but they were both very, very present. But for me, Thief 2 really rises above both of these games in terms of getting the balance of this right. So the game is set in, you know, an alternate past that's sort of fusing Dark Age and Victorian stylings together with a burgeoning steam tech revolution. But the world is mainly governed by uh, religious extremists. So you had the the Hammers, which were the, the, uh, the cult from the first game. Uh, they sort of disbanded after they uh, fell foul of the trickster, who was this like pagan god. And and in Thief Two, you've now got this offshoot of the Hammers, which are called the Mechanists, uh, led by uh, an, a sort of charismatic, enigmatic man called Karras. Uh, and he leans fully into you know the sort of the opportunities that the developments in technology will offer them. Then you've also got this mysterious cult called the Keepers, of which Garrett was once a part, and they sort of. I don't know, they sort of stand back and, and, and oversee the city, almost as custodians, but I mean, entirely ungoverned, I'm sure. And then you've got the inklings of this pagan culture bubbling underneath the surface. It's just, it's, it's so, like I say, it's just such a rich world that you just want to dive into and experience. And I, I knew I was in for a treat with Thief 2 when I, I got the demo disc for it. And it was a really, really nice demo disc, actually, because it was it, it came uh, sort of on it, on its own thing. It was its own disc in a nice little designed cardboard sleeve. It wasn't just, you know, dumped on a disc with a hundred other demos and a fistful of shareware games, prit stick to the front of PC Gamer. <laughs> I think I mentioned back when I spoke about the first Thief game that the demo for that game, which was just the very first level, was Lord Bafford's Manor. I think... I think that was probably the best level in that game. It was pure thieving all the way through. Uh, and, and and after I'd played that demo probably upwards of 100 times, I then bought the full Thief game and was a bit disappointed with the rest of the game because, I mean, like within the second level of that first game, you're, you're, you're in a haunted mine and there's zombies and ghosts and everything. And it's like, oh, okay, this isn't creeping around castles and, and all that stuff that, you know, I wanted. But this, this wasn't the case with the demo for Thief 2. And, and quite nicely, the demo actually contained... I don't know if it was a, a, an early version or if it was just a deliberately sort of condensed version or a reduced version, uh, but it's it's certainly an alternate version of a level later in in the game. The demo level was called the Unwelcome Guest, uh, and and in the in the main game this was fully expanded to a level called Life of the Party, which is a level I spoke about at length actually in one of our Patreon exclusive episodes, uh, which we did all about architecture, because uh, there's this extraordinary um, ar- sense of architecture to this level like you spawn on the rooftops of the city and you're tasked with infiltrating angel watch which is this monolithic skyscraper headquarters of Karis, and he's holding like a like a gala party for the city's elite and upper class or so they think anyway and I, one of the things i love most about this level is like you know if you're setting that level out on paper you know you're trying to infiltrate this this party steal some stuff and blah 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 uh, but but most of the level actually takes place across the rooftops and you and you trying to get to this building in the first place. Like it's a whole level's worth of thieving before you even, you know, get to get to Angel Watch. 
And I think the thing that struck me most about this section of the level, and, and indeed, you know, the game as a whole, uh, when I got to play in the full game, was was just how alive the world felt. Like, there felt like there was so much to explore, so many little secret areas that you could discover, and, and so much happening in, in every little corner of the city. Like, you could creak open an ajar window as a noble woman was getting ready and steal her necklace from off her vanity. Or, like, you could you could eavesdrop on a conversation where... I remember there was this like distraught man like lamenting to his wife at his lack of an invite to Karis's party, and he was going, "But, but they invited the Bumblesons, the Bumblesons," <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this like no, nothing more is said about any of these people. It's just it's wonderful. Uh, and one of my favourite little sections in this level is when you uh, you come across two uh, watchtowers uh, where there are some guards uh, sort of either side of an alleyway. And they just get into this full-on haranguing match across <laughs> across the street, uh, which if you if you like hide and listen to it all, it runs for a, several minutes, uh, and and the, just their argument uh, just rises and rises and ends with them both like setting arrows off against each other, and likely everyone ending up dead. And it was just it was it was brilliantly written with sort of. I don't know, like sort of pigeon old English and Shakespearean insults and in-game world slang, calling them taffers and whatnot. <laughs> it was just. It's outstanding writing and, you know, such brilliant touches that made the city feel real with real characters, real consequences. That's stuff. It didn't need to be there. You know, these could have just been guards that you needed to get past and or or they could have had a couple of looping bits of, of, of dialogue. But no, it was a full as a full thing. And it rewarded you uh, just to, just by staying still and listening and watching and observing. And it's just oh, it's very, 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 very good. The characterization of Garrett as well, it was it was developed quite a lot from the first game where, I mean, he was a bit more of a, you know, a one note character, uh, you know, he was caught up in some mad pagan shit. But this game really shows more of his human side where, you know, he has things he cares about, not many things, but, you know, and, and things that he loses. And you get to find where his where his turning point is when it comes to his sense of morality and what he deems to be right and wrong. Uh, and that's obviously great for for an anti-hero, for obviously somebody who's making their living being a criminal. Um, and it's just it's a captivating story from start to finish. Like the permutations and the revelations that come to light over you know the plans of the mechanists and what Karis is really trying to do with his technological revolutions is it, I mean it's in turns shocking and horrifying. Uh, but yeah, just just you, you, oh, it's so tantalising as well. And I think it was my first exposure to, to sort of steampunk uh, properly because, uh, you know, I hadn't really sort of experienced that sense uh, before of those different elements of history being melded together into sort of one thing within a nice sprinkling of dark magic over it. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, much about the story because even though the game is yeah, it's over 20 years old now, it's still worth playing and it's still worth experiencing to, uh, to you know, to, to, to get that experience firsthand. It's got this gleeful, pulpy joy to it, even though, you know, the steampunk thing has been done to death. And, uh, you know, a lot of these things have been seen since and, and some of them even before. But it's it's a story that's well worth experiencing uh, if, if you haven't sort of, you know, properly experienced it firsthand. But the way the game is designed, just in terms of how it feels to play, is... I mean, that's such an important thing to get right in developing, you know, the thieving experience. Uh, it's set up just very, in many ways, very simply. You know, you've got this, you've got the system of light and dark, which was so revolutionary in in the original Thief game. And, and they use the same engine for the um, System Shock games. 
So you've got your shadows you can hide in and you can manipulate light in your area so that so that you can create more more shadows. You've got gadgets that you can, you know, help you sort of spy ahead and track enemy guards. You've different types of arrows, like you know, you've got your water arrows to douse torches, you've got gas arrows to knock people out, you've got moss arrows that you can fire onto like metal floors uh, to make them nice and spongy and quiet so they don't make noise when you walk over them. Ooh. And it just feels so good to sneak around these environments. Like if you spot an open window at the top of a building, you know, you can probably fire a rope arrow to like a nearby rafter, climb up the rope, sneak in, uh, you know, sneak up on some guards, knock one of them out with your blackjack before pickpocketing, you know, maybe somebody who's sat on the alarm station, use their key to unlock an office to disable the power, spot a note with an inventory for a series of safety deposit boxes, you know, cross-reference that with, with something else that you see and you can eavesdrop on the owner of like that deposit box in the corridor to overhear their combination code, wait for them to leave, break in, steal their treasure. It's just, it's amazing how many different ways you can approach so many different parts of the game. Like I've said before about how I love games that really reward your curiosity and Thief 2 is definitely a game that does that. Like there isn't a single part of any of the levels that hasn't had some consideration paid to it you know that doesn't have some reference or relevance to something else in the game or or even like you know a nod to to events in previous games and there's there's such a brilliant variety of levels as well like even though i would have no problem just looting manor houses from well not from dawn till dusk well, from dust of dawn i guess but there are there are missions that see you finding personal effects from like a figure of note in the city planting a dead body and their evidence to frame them for murder to bring them down you've got missions where you have to break into the high security bank there's a mission that sees you uncover the secret mines that the mechanists are developing in and stow away on their like this rudimentary steampunk submarine uh, you've got like regular thieving missions like where you just need to loot the docks as some big shipments are coming in because you've got a good tip off and you don't want to miss the opportunity and like the fact this fantastical side of the game this pagan side is is peppered more sparsely throughout the game and I, I think it's so much more effective for it you know it feels underground and forbidden and scary when you when you see it rear its spooky head in this this city that's desperately trying to be you know so sort of advanced and so well to do above its station like i'll never forget the time i encountered the the ghost of a dead hammerite for the first time a hammer haunt uh, you're breaking into this complex and you find an entrance uh, into the main building through the cellars and you can just hear some strange noises down there amid like this flickering firelight on the you know in the walls that you can just hear this clanking of chains and this rattling breath and this faint murmuring of something you really don't want to see and you sort of just steal yourself to just to slip down there and it just gets so loud so quickly and so fast it's just terrifying or if like in the life of the party mission if you veer off track i mean the whole whole of the rooftop section is like there is no track because it's all off track it's great but there's a little hidden secret tower where there's um you, you read this person's like journals and you realize it's a sorcerer practicing dark magic uh, and if you if you if you pick up one of the i think if you pick up one of the spell books and throw it into the fire it like spawns a load of summons a load of zombies which i, I wouldn't advise doing that <laughs> not a lot of room to get back out and then like it's a real reminder of this side of a thief's world there is there's a whole mission called trail of blood that sees you slip through a pagan portal into uh, the moor of chaos and you're following the tracks of this wounded messenger and th this environment is so it's, it's, it's just so different to the heavily mechanized city and it's just so surreal and disturbing you don't know what's going to happen at any point like like anything like a tree could be an enemy some roots could come and grab you a monkey could jump down from this log and just batter your head in like it's 
it's it's it's brilliant because it's such a contrast to everything else that's happening and having this side of the game served up in smaller doses you know that really emphasizes the impact of those elements uh and you know the, just the, this this polar difference between the two sides of this world like i think i think thief 2 is one of the first games that that really made me feel like i was playing it how i wanted to play it you know rather than just going through a bunch of sequences and interacting with them you know i could choose which weapons I used, what tools, what gadgets I had, what path I wanted to go to, what loot I wanted to take, which lives I wanted to spare, which guards I just wanted to wind up. You know, even though there are, of course, limitations to what you can do in the game, like once you're properly immersed in it, you want to play, you want, well, you want to role play as Garrett. You want to be the best thief you can be. You start to care about the causes that Garrett is fighting for. And you don't want to hurt the innocent people. You don't want to kill people if you don't have to. And you want to find out as much as you can about this story, about these characters, about this world that you'll happily just spend hours on each mission scouring every corner for any extra bit of loot you can find or an extra bit of lore that you might have missed. Like one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had, I think in any game, is when I decided to play through Thief 2 on expert difficulty. Now there's three difficulty settings, normal, hard and expert. It, it, it's a nice way of them developing a, a difficulty system. Like it, it's not necessarily, not necessarily harder in that sense. Like the enemies don't do more damage. They're not more sensitive to noise or anything, but you have less health and you have additional objectives to, f to fulfill. Uh, and I really felt that doing the playing through the game on expert and doing all of the objectives that really meant like I was going to get the most out of the game. And I'd never completed the game on normal or on hard. Like I'd, I'd used a few uh, cheats to skip to the later levels so I could see them. Uh, but I thought, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna start playing on expert and I'm gonna see how I get on. And I, I saw the game all the way to the end. And the brilliant thing about expert is that one of the objectives it has for every mission is that you can't kill anyone ever. Like you can knock them out, but you can't fatally wound people. Um, and you also have to loot a set amount of treasure from each mission, which is like a pretty high percentage of the overall loot available. So it really is, oh, it's, the, it's, oh, it's the purest sense of thieving, just pure <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. And it was just a deliciously meticulous experience. You know, I probably progressed at like a, a snail's pace through the game, making just granular ground and just aching over every step, every arrow, every jump, you know, and making sure that I rinsed every single area of every level. It was just, it was incredible. And getting to the final mission, which is just this colossal mission set inside Karis's factory cathedral. And you, you need to avoid all of these mechanized guards whilst collecting materials to send through all the different machines in the factory to construct your own pieces of tech to sort of like uh, sabotage what he's doing. It was an extraordinary end to like playing through the game in its best and most fullest sense. It is a game that delivers all the way to the final, final credits with the story. It's, it's one of my favorite stories of all time. I mean, certainly in terms of video games, but even outside of it, like... I think I well, it's I'd love to I'd love to be involved in an adaptation of it if that's as a movie or as a a series or even just like to be honest I think it would make a brilliant graphic novel, but for now like all I can do is urge everyone to find a copy of Thief Two. It's not hard to find it. You can get it on Steam. It's got excellent sort of modern operating system support, but find it, play it, and experience it because it's such an amazing adventure and exceedingly good fun to boot. And yeah, it's my fifth favorite video game of all time. 
perhaps the most Jonathan Dunn video game in my memory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we, we've mentioned this a few times, the games that we associate with one another, having obviously grown up and, and seen one another play games. And I, I didn't have the metal to play Thief when I was a kid. And mm. I don't have the metal to play Thief now when I'm in my 30s. <laughs> yeah, there, there's something very oppressive and spooky about the world of Thief. Definitely. And yeah, I, I think I will always struggle with a game like that to really make any progress. But I saw such big chunks of it watching you play and especially that demo stage. Mm. Like you describing it there, I can see you walking through it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can. I can see the two guards arguing. I, I can hear part of the conversation. Yeah. Like you, you probably, you probably took me through that stage several times when I'd come yeah. around and visit when we were younger. Probably, so, yeah. Real, real memories in there, and and yeah, I, I think an astonishing game really for the time it came out, mm. and one that I don't think, you know, many of those sort of immersive first-person sims have really matched in in many ways. Because you you had that that real period of creativity with things like Thief and, and Deus Ex were all around the same time, broadly within a couple of years of one another, and then we went a very different route for many years and kind of just streamlined things to be the the corridor shooter sort of came next. Yeah, and and I know we've had kind of more recent you know attempts to get back to that things like Dishonored and stuff like that, but still Thief is a is a game I feel like I know a lot about, mm. despite the fact I've probably played it for. A maximum of two hours, person. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever played any of the Thief games, Minty? Not myself, no. No. I had a friend in high school who was obsessed with them, alongside uh, such things as Morrowind. But the only the, the only real experience I've had with any of the Thief games is watching you play Thief 4 back when we lived together. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is... Uh, yeah, I think, I think Dishonored is a better Thief game than Thief... Hmm. Maybe we can. Uh, maybe I can take you through Thief Two because I'd love to replay it. So uh, you can you can keep me company and we'll do a we'll do a let's play, I'd shall like we? That a lot, of, yeah. uh, Thief Two with you by my side. Oh, I'd love to see that. Wowie, excellent. We'll do that. So there we have it. That was my fifth favourite video game of all time, and it was Thief Two: The Metal Age. Hopefully, you've enjoyed listening to this bumper episode where we've covered everything from, well, well, you know, because you've listened to it all. <laughs> if you've enjoyed it then please do share the podcast on social media, engage with us on our social media platforms, facebook.com slash r3cents, Instagram at o3c podcast. You can go to YouTube and search for r3cents and find all of our videos there. You can reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And Clement underscore Boo. Uh, and if you're really enjoying what we're doing and fancy supporting us just a little bit more, then uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash r3cents and pledge a few pennies our way to help us do a bit more and keep going at the pace that we have become accustomed to and please do join us next week where we will be cracking straight on with the number fours and chris will be telling us all about the game that he thinks there are only three games better than i will do and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor Previously in Zelda 2 on Chat of the Wild. Until you get to the elevator. Hey, where you go? Right. <laughs> I'm on it. Stay away from me and you and your little flamies. <laughs> he just chases you. I'm like, uh, I'm like, no, 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 run, 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 run. I love that. I love that idea. It's like we have this whole grand adventure where we're building ourselves up, but every time we get into power, we're like, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god. like just running through. <laughs> That's Chat of the Wild Wednesdays on the Greenlit Podcast Network. <laughs>